0: Section Two of the Black Cat, Volume Two, Number Five, February eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Nicole Christen. The Black Cat, Volume Two, Number Five, February eighteen ninety seven section two my invisible friend by catherine kipp when i first went to mrs baker's boarding house on oak street i was greatly attracted by and interested in one boarder among the twelve this was william elliott a tall broad-shouldered man about thirty-five years old during the day he was a bank cashier while in his leisure hours he was an earnest and enthusiastic student of chemistry i had a hall bedroom on the fourth floor while he occupied the large room next to it and had a good-sized closet fitted up as a laboratory several nights during the late spring when i had left my door open to create a draught i had been forced to close it again because of the horrible odors from his vile chemicals that filled the hall once or twice i knocked on his door and complained whereupon he immediately ceased his experiments for the evening he told me however that the study was so fascinating that it was never out of his thoughts for an instant and that his dream was to spend his whole life in the pursuit of it after a while we became great friends and soon it became my regular habit to go into his room each evening and to sit there talking with him or reading while he worked one night about three months after the adoption of this programme elliot was in a mood of unusual expansiveness instead of setting about work immediately in his laboratory he drew up A chair near mine sat down facing me and looking at me seriously said look here emerson i've taken a fancy to you and i've a good mind to tell you what i'm trying for in all these experiments you'll probably think me mad or a fool but here goes you know what wonderful things can be done with the Renkin race and you know they claim to be able to make glasses by wearing which a surgeon can literally see through his patients well i say that some somewhere in nature only waiting to be discovered there is a certain something by enveloping the human body in which rays of light can pass directly through without obstacle and which will therefore render the body absolutely invisible he looked at me eagerly his eyes bright his face glowing it sounds plausible i said but without enthusiasm for the truth was that i had no idea what he meant and regarded his schemes as little more than child's play it is not only plausible it is so he answered excitedly there is not in my mind the slightest doubt of the existence of that something whatever it may prove to be its parts are about us somewhere perhaps near at hand only waiting for the right man to bring them together and i intend to be that man i know that it sounds like the wildest nonsense the height of conceited assurance to say so and yet why not I? I hastened to assure him that there was no reason why he might not be the man, and I certainly meant it. I thought that he had just as good a chance as any other, but secretly, I believed that no one could ever find that ridiculous something. Elliot talked to me of his work, his hopes and struggles, and explained minutely many of his experiments, which were as Greek to me. It was midnight when I left his room. It's an expensive study, he said at last, with a half sigh. My salary as cashier is a good one and yet here I am on the top floor of a cheap boarding house. I deny myself every luxury and many comforts to buy the apparatus that i need as well as the necessary books and pamphlets the next day i went away on my vacation and three weeks passed before i returned to the boarding-house i had however received a postal from Eliot two weeks after my departure saying merely dear emerson am on the right track at last i'm sure Eliot." i arrived at the house just at dinner-time and going directly into the dining-room took my old seat at the table Elliot came in a moment later and sat down opposite me i was shocked at the change for the worse in his appearance he looked thin worn and exhausted while his eyes burned feverishly but when he saw me his face brightened and he greeted me cordially he ate hardly anything and after taking a cup of black coffee rose from the table come up to my den this evening emerson he said as he passed out don't you think that mr Elliot looks terribly asked mrs marvin a pretty blonde the hot weather seems to have used him up completely and i'm sure he never sleeps for he walks his room all night long mr marvin and i had the room under his but we exchanged with mr coleman and mr gaines and now are on the second floor it really annoyed me so the walking you know that i couldn't sleep i agreed with her that elliot was looking badly and secretly thought that the excitement of the chase bade fair to kill him whether he were successful or not another half-hour and i knocked at his door come in he replied in a high strained voice i opened the door and looked about me in surprise all the furniture had been pushed as far back in a corner as possible while the centre of the room was occupied by a small stone to which was fastened a long string shut the door he exclaimed his cheeks burned with a hectic flush and he glanced from me to the string and back again sit down there on the edge of the bed that's it now look at the string do you see anything queer about it i looked and saw that it was jerked or blown about as if by the wind and yet the doors and windows were closed then i thought my eyes must deceive me for the string was pulled taut and jerked the stone about an inch experiment is this in heaven's name i cried in amazement eliot smiled triumphantly what do you see he asked see i think i see a string jerking a stone i replied Ah it was an exclamation of relief and delight he took a saucer from the mantelpiece filled it with milk from a pitcher and holding it in one hand said there happens to be a cat on the end of that string my dear fellow as i will demonstrate to you at that a disagreeable suspicion stirred in my mind a chill crept along my spine and my eyes turned toward the door don't be afraid i'm not dangerous he said looking at me and smiling as he placed the saucer on the floor the string moved toward it and i swear i saw the ripples on that milk and watched it gradually disappear while at the same time i heard a distinct purring sound the strain on my nerves was a little too severe and i burst into a hoarse laugh (laughs) forgive me but it seems too ridiculous a phantom cat drinking milk Elliot smiled abstractedly, but I don't think that he had heard a word that I said – do you know what this means, he asked in a low voice. It means a discovery as great as any that has ever been made. It means, great heavens, man, you don't know what it means. That one could live his life in a crowded building, mix with hundreds of men, jostle them in the streets, eat with them, sleep with them, murder them, and never be seen by human vision. Elliot's eyes glittered. He trembled all over and breathed heavily. He began a rapid march up and down the room while he continued to enlighten me as to the wonderful effect this discovery would have in case it proved as successful with human beings as it had with the invisible feline i occupied as small a space as possible for in spite of his reassuring words of a short time before i was afraid of him i also tried to look enthusiastic and encouraging but the effort was probably vain for he suddenly stopped in his walk and said here get down and feel where that cat is i obeyed with alacrity although i expected to find nothing and was rewarded as my fingers closed on something soft and furry by hearing a maddened meow and by receiving a most realistic scratch from invisible claws damn it i exclaimed vigorously and somehow after that the ghostly aspect of the whole affair was lost to me what on earth possessed you to tie the cat with a string i asked nursing my injured hand my dear fellow will you tell me how i could locate her otherwise you can't see the cat which is carefully covered with with the result of my experiments and you can see the string which has not been treated i stared at him in amazement somehow that simple idea had not occurred to me why then you really would be as invisible as air i exclaimed fatuously didn't i say so heavens shall i take the stone to pound the idea into your head in a vexed tone no i'll dispense with that crowning argument you must remember that while you have had months to grow used to the idea i have had it sprung on me with comparative suddenness and it is a hard thing to credit even now wait a minute he interrupted his good humour restored i'll convince you he stepped to the laboratory and brought out a small dish filled with a lead-coloured liquid he pulled a string toward him and his fingers closed on the air as far as i could see he held his hand over the dish and thrust it downward there was a wild mewing and spitting a grand splash and then i saw before me a cat wet and bedraggled and with a string tied around her neck and now he said after enjoying my astonishment for a while you can dig out old fellow and i'll get some sleep i'll let you know when i'm ready for the next test i want to try it on myself next and it will take two weeks of hard work to make the necessary quantity i'm not ashamed now to confess that after that night's experience when the great nature of the discovery had gradually dawned on me i grew as nervous as any old woman i started at the slightest sound i never sat with my back to a door and was never really satisfied unless i had elliot within range of my vision i saw him only at the table for he told me that until two weeks had elapsed and he had prepared for the great test he didn't want me in his room i placed no reliance on what he had said however about the length of time required to prepare for it but feared that he might at any time anoint himself with the mysterious compound and take me by surprise for i was the only human being who knew of the discovery and my terror showed to me though my mind tried to deny how thoroughly i believed in it Each night, after going to my room, I locked and bolted the door and then gave the small room a thorough search. I poked under the bed and in the wardrobe with the cane. I stood in the middle of the floor and jabbed all around quickly and scientifically. I had complained before because the place was so tiny. Now, it seemed too large for me. I understood thoroughly and sympathized with the nervous fears of those who believe in ghosts. And how much more reason had I to dread a aunt who, thin as he was, must weigh 170 pounds, and who was possessed of the strength of a man mastered by one idea. But one night after two weeks of anxiety, Elliot stopped me in the hall after dinner and said, Come to my room tonight at night. I'm ready for the great test the man looked positively wild there were great hollows around his eyes his cheeks were sunken his hands like claws I verily believe he had scarcely slept or eaten in a fortnight. He had, however, consumed enormous quantities of black coffee. Well, I sat with Coleman and Gaines in their room until nine o'clock. Overhead, I could hear Elliot's steady, rapid walk. Just hear that, exclaimed Gaines. I believe the fellow's cracked luckily coleman and i have steady nerves or that noise kept up night after night would drive us crazy at nine i left them and knocked at his door he opened it quickly then closed and locked it after me everywhere was dust and disorder the bed had been removed and had been replaced by a couch over which was thrown a rug he waved his hand toward it don't need a maid to make it up each morning he said briefly can't have a woman fooling around and upsetting things on a table near the couch was an immense glass jar such as grocers use in their shop windows to display samples of preserves it was about a foot in diameter and over two feet in height and was tightly sealed it was a faint yellow in color but i could not then decide whether it was colored by the contents or not beside the table on the floor was a large porcelain tub filled with the lead-colored liquid that i had seen before there is my discovery eliot said in a hushed voice pointing to the jar and that indicating the liquid in the tub you have seen before to-morrow if all goes well the whole world will know of the great discovery think what it will mean a man might travel the world over unseen unknown he could penetrate the secrets of all lives i dread to let the world share the knowledge with me and yet it is too great to hide then abruptly tonight, i propose to make myself as invisible as that cat was and i have asked you to be here in case anything should go wrong and I were to need help. I sat spellbound in my chair without the strength to speak. Elliot advanced to the table. He moistened his lips nervously and his hands shook so that he could hardly grasp the jar. I saw, however, by the way he lifted it that it was very light. "'My nerve is almost gone,' he said with a haggard smile." now i'll prepare myself in the laboratory while you wait here i sat there as he had directed scarcely moving my eyes were glued to the closed door of the laboratory i could feel the hair rising on my scalp and the chills running up and down my spine at last whether in ten minutes or an hour i do not know the door was flung open With a hoarse cry, I started to my feet and retreated to the wall, holding my hands out to what off what? For although a light burned in the laboratory and I could see plainly around the little room, there was no one there. Quick, tell me, Emerson, exclaimed Elliot's strained voice somewhere in the room near me. Can you see me? Great heavens, you know what it means to me, man. Can't you speak? Are you dumb? The voice sounded nearer and threatening no no i fairly yelled finding my voice suddenly i see no one for god's sake don't touch me or i'll go mad a moment's pause then the voice relaxed and gently and with a little happy laugh murmured don't be childish emerson you know i'm here don't you not only in voice but in flesh why should you go mad over your inability to see me any more than because you can't see a friend when you can hear him through a telephone though a trifle reassured i still shook with dread and elliot said good-humouredly come here oh i forgot with a really boyish laugh you don't know where here is Well, I warn you, I'm coming to you and to shake your hand. And I heard footsteps cross the floor and felt the hearty grasp of his hand in mine. There, run your hand up my arm. It has the regular feel of flesh, hasn't it? I admitted that it had, and you really can see no one. Every article of furniture is as plain as if you were alone. Now I'm between you and the laboratory door. How is it? i see the laboratory the light in it the empty jar and everything else distinctly good but i knew that i must succeed and there was fairly a sob in his voice then with a quick change he asked gaily what do you think i intend to do now i will enjoy myself like a schoolboy for tomorrow i must be only a scientist I will take a trip, go on a journey of exploration and adventure through the house, and perhaps venture into the street. Oh, Elliot, don't do that. Think of the risk. You've stood the test so far. Just wash the stuff off now, go to bed and take some rest. Nonsense, irritably. As for risk, where is it? You're afraid of me. That's what's the matter. This with a disagreeable laugh. No i intend to enjoy myself the warm weather renders my lack of raiment very comfortable now i'll say Ovidazane, emerson unable to persuade him to abandon his plan and i admit too cowardly and too much overcome with the events of the past few moments to say more i sat in my chair, stupid with fright the key turned in the lock the door opened and closed and i heard on the stairway the familiar creak of the third stair from the top elliot had really gone then indeed i regained my senses bounding from my seat i rushed to the door flung it open and leaned over the banisters the gas in the hall was burning low inspired by fright i turned it on at full head then resumed my position of leaning over the railing all was quiet in the halls below suddenly the light in the second hall went out elliot was there then perhaps he intended to play some trick on coleman and gaines no they now had the room under Elliot's, and the marvins had the second floor front well he'll find it out as soon as he opens the door and they can't see him i murmured realizing more than ever the advantages of invisibility a streak of light in the darkness of the second hall appeared and vanished their door opening and shutting i decided there was complete silence for about five minutes then i heard a woman's scream followed after a slight pause by another and another two pistol shots and the slamming of a door i was rooted to the spot with fright and horror the whole place seemed whirling around me and i grasped at the railing to steady myself at the sound of the first scream a door on the third hall had opened and gaines and coleman had rushed for the stairway before they could reach it, the pistol shots rang out, the door in the second hall slammed, and as Gaines placed his hand on the stair rail, he paused, staggered, and fell heavily against the wall. Coleman, too, fell back, and then, then, I heard the well-known creak of the stair near me and the door of Elliot's room closed softly, and I heard the key turn in the lock with that sound i was seized with the dread of being alone on the same floor with the madman for such i now had fully decided him to be i fled precipitately down the stairs and reached the second hall almost simultaneously with coleman and gaines we burst into the marvins room together there was only a dim lamplight in the room mrs marvin lay back on a couch unconscious Over her, the revolver in his hand, and a look of frantic terror on his face, bent her husband. As we entered, he turned and looked wildly at us. Did you see anyone, anything, in the halls? He demanded. No, answered Coleman and Gaines together. I merely shook my head. What was all the shooting about? asked Coleman suspiciously. And why did Mrs. Marvin scream? Is she shot? Shot? No replied mr marvin who had by this time laid down the pistol i i thought there was a burglar and i shot and he turned again to his wife and began chafing her hands by this time mrs baker and the other boarders, all more or less in disarray and all very much excited were grouped about the door mrs baker entered and added her efforts to mr marvin's and in a few minutes we had the satisfaction of seeing mrs marvin's eyes open every one was clamouring for some explanation of the noise and the shots and in a short time we were in possession of the story to which i listened with feelings of guilt and shame just before the disturbance mr and mrs marvin were sitting by a table reading the gas was lighted in the central chandelier and a lamp was burning on the table the couple were sitting with their backs to the door which was unlocked suddenly mrs marvin was startled by hearing the door open she turned just in time to see it close again and noticed that the hall was dark frank she exclaimed someone one opened the door and closed it again nonsense the draught he replied and continued to read In another instant she noticed the light growing dim and, looking up, saw that the gaslight was going out. At the same time, she felt the presence of some stranger in the room, though she could see no one. She uttered an exclamation of alarm. My dear Alice, what is it? asked Mr. Marvin resignedly. He was deeply interested in his book. Frank, the gas is going out. Has gone out. "'and I feel that there is someone in the room. "'Oh, Frank, I'm so frightened. Oh!' "'She stepped quickly toward her husband, "'and it was then that she uttered that first scream. "'For as she moved, she came into contact with someone, or something, "'although there was seemingly no one there. "'By heaven, there is something!' exclaimed the husband, "'as he too encountered the mysterious presence.' Scream after scream issued from mrs Marvin's lips, and mr Marvin, utterly losing his head, rushed to the bureau, took out his revolver, and fired twice, as much to alarm the house in his insane terror as with the hope of hitting-hitting what? With a bewildered air he acknowledged that he had seen no one. And yet, he said, when I fired the first shot, the door opened again and I just had time to fire the second shot at the opening before it closed. That ended Marvin's story. Marvin himself acted as if he did not expect to be believed. His listeners, for the most part, evidently thought that he had been under the influence of liquor mrs baker sniffed contemptuously and said she only hoped the pistol shots hadn't damaged the woodwork one man even said consolingly you'll sleep it off old fellow while mrs marvin wept hysterically but coleman said slowly well it's deuce queer But when I heard Mrs. Marvin scream and started for the stairs, I had just reached them when I got an awful shove that knocked me clean over against the wall. Yet, I'll take my oath no one was there, and I hadn't had a drop to drink either, with a fierce glare around. Gaines listened open-mouthed. That was my experience to a T, he exclaimed. I thought sure I had em. Now, what was it? i say emerson did you see anyone or hear anyone Mm, no i replied articulating with difficulty nothing well you've got a good case of rattles anyhow he said laughing a few minutes more and the group had separated mrs marvin tearful and still badly frightened vowing that she would sit up all night and leave in the morning marvin Pale and shaken, but a trifle shame-faced, Coleman and Gaines puzzled and a little angry, Mrs. Baker and others openly contemptuous, and the coloured servants whispering off, "'Aunt!' and looking almost pale with fright, I climbed slowly up to my room. No one had noticed Elliot's absence. I was thankful for that i felt somehow like a fellow conspirator should i go in and speak to him ask him for his explanations of the affair though i was sure how it had all happened no i decided that what i needed was rest from elliot so i went cautiously into my own room fearing to hear him call me all was silent however and after going through my usual routine of search i prepared for bed and was soon sound asleep the next morning as i was dressing and reviewing the events of the evening before the thought occurred to me for the first time that elliot might have been wounded by one of those shots fired by marvin at this idea i hurriedly opened my door and pounded on elliot there was no reply i knocked and knocked mr emerson said the chambermaid who was passing and i couldn't wake him go down and ask mr coleman if he's heard mr elliot walking around this morning in a moment she was back no sir i am certain he is ill i said my mind was dwelling on those shots go and tell mrs baker that we must force the door get james james was the man of all work mrs baker came hurrying up looking pale and worried james is coming right up she said but do you really think it's best to force the door i think mr elliot must be ill we can't make him answer and delay is dangerous you know yes i know it never rains but it pours sir and what with mr and mrs marvin going at daybreak and now this i don't know what to do and her eyes filled with tears james appeared at that moment and the group was further swelled by coleman james put his shoulder to the door and quickly forced it open As it swung in, we all started back in horror, for there, lying half in and half out of the porcelain tub, was the body of Elliot. His head was leaning back against the couch, his face was distorted, his hands clenched. The physician who was hastily summoned said that life had been extinct for many hours. Chronic heart disease, he said. The attack was probably brought on by some great excitement so it was not a bullet wound after all and i had a very decided idea as to what the great excitement was that had brought on the fatal attack of heart trouble i did not make that idea public however and coleman's theory which differed very materially from mine was generally accepted as true it was the noise of all that screaming and of those shots that brought on the attack said he and it certainly sounded plausible enough. No trace of the great discovery was left. I did venture to tell the relative who inherited all of Elliot's belongings that I had reason to believe, that his cousin had made a very important discovery just before he died i therefore urged upon him the advisability of having his papers examined by a competent person but i learned that only a few disconnected notes of no value whatsoever had been found however what one man has done another can do and i confidently expect and at no very distant time to learn that Elliot's experiment has been made again and has succeeded end of section two